let me ask you, do you move well, eat well, and sleep well? Do you feel that modern medicine is looking out for your best interest? Do you know how to take care of your body so you can stay pain-free and in the activities you love? Do you know what options you have? If not, that's a problem, and this podcast is the answer. I'm Trevor Folker, and welcome to the Green Bay Health Project Podcast. The Green Bay Health Project podcast is sponsored by Movement, Performance, and Rehabilitation, where we help the athletes and active adults move better, perform better, stay pain-free, and in the sports and activities that they love. We do this by focusing on their movements and optimizing their mobility, stability, and strength. Your body is your greatest tool, and when you move better, you feel better, and you thrive. So head to movementgb.com, that's mvmtgb.com, to learn how we can help you stay active and pain-free for life. What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Green Bay Health Project podcast. Today, I'm Trevor, and today we're going to be talking all things alcohol. And the reason I wanted to make an episode about this, obviously, I want the podcast to become more educational, so that more helpful tips that you can take away and apply to hit your health goals. But also, I recently completed dry January. I've also not had a drink since New Year's Eve. And I found it pretty interesting, one, how I feel, and two, as I started to do some deeper dives into this, all the things that alcohol has been doing, and really how... I mean how unhealthy it it probably is for us. Now, I want to be real clear on this. First and foremost, I'm not judging anybody. I love alcohol. I like my bourbons and my whiskeys and my IPAs and my wines. But it started to become an issue where I was falling back on it because of some things that were happened. You know, if you if you kind of roll with us, 2023 was pretty tough personally, mentally, and definitely physically. And what I probably realized three weeks into dry January was that I was really using alcohol as a crutch, basically, to help me through some tough times or what I thought it was helping me through some tough times, and then falling back on it after stressful days, which is really ultimately not good. But that's how I was using it. And it took me three weeks of not having any alcohol to really realize that. And then I started to do some deep dives into all of it because I wanted to learn more, wanted to understand it a little bit better. And I wanted to talk about alcohol and its effects on our body, but also what I've noticed after being about six weeks sober. You know, I know it's not a long time, but there are some nights where I really wanted my bourbon. My angel's envy was calling out to me and I didn't have a glass. But anyways, what I want to talk about, you know, we're going to we're going to cover alcohol's effects on the brain, on the mental state, as well as some of the neural circuits. This all ties in together. Neural circuits and impact, habitual drinking plays on us. I'll touch on its relationship to cancer simply because as I was researching this, I found it to be pretty interesting. We'll talk quite a bit about its impact on the gut and the liver as you know, gut health is a big thing these days. And I found that to be very interesting. Then we'll touch on its athletic it's, it's impact on athletic performance, hormones, sleep. And then really, I just want you to know what I have noticed in myself over the past six weeks. Cool. Obviously, if you find this helpful, would love a share and send it to somebody that you feel would benefit from it. 
So to kick things off, some of this might be a little technical to start. So just rock with me, just roll with it. I promise you by the end, it all comes full circle, but we need to understand how alcohol kind of impacts our body and how it's metabolized first in order to really understand its impact, athletic performance, how we feel and all that stuff. So the first question I want to start by addressing, I want to start, yeah, I want to start by addressing is probably a common one. And that's, is low to moderate alcohol consumption harmful to us and particularly to our brain? Now, let's put a definition to low to moderate alcohol consumption really quick. For men, that is two drinks or less in a day. And for women, that is one drink or less in a day. For high amounts of alcohol, for men, that is three to five or more drinks on any day or two to four on any day for women. Okay, so that low to moderate is what we're going to be looking at right now. And that's that one to two drinks per day. So does it impact? Is it harmful to our brain? Short answer, yes. But a recent uh, research study that I, I found was looked, it, it looked at 30,000 plus healthy older adults. And I'll be sure to link to this. But it suggested that even low to moderate amounts of alcohol, so those one to two drinks per day, can be associated with evidence of brain degeneration. Now, it should be noted that the study did not differentiate between drinking patterns. And what I mean by that by, is whether it was one to two drinks per night, or say if we're doing one to two for low, if it was seven to 14 in one day. So whether you were having one to two drinks a night or you just went on a bender on a Friday or Saturday, the study didn't account for that. It just looked at this chronic intake of low to moderate alcohol consumption. And what it found was that, you know, chronic intake, even if the amount is low, can contribute to thinning of the brain's gray matter and its white matter. For those that don't know, gray matter really refers to the darker tissue of the brain and the spinal cord that consists mainly of the nerve cell bodies, dendrites, and synapses. Okay. Don't worry too much about it, but the, this is the important part. Gray matter is a super important component of the central nervous system, and it plays a key role in our cognitive functions, including sensory perception, muscle control, and memory. Okay. It contains the majority of the brain's neuronal cell bodies, and again, is involved in information processing. Now for white matter, on the other hand, it is in the central nervous system and really contains or consists mainly of myelinated fibers. And all you need to know about that, the only thing I want to touch on is it's, it serves as a communication network between different brain regions and the spinal cord. So it facilitates the integration of sensory motor, cognitive information, and really enables the coordination of movements, memory, and learning processes. Okay. So with all of that, low to moderate alcohol consumption has found to cause degeneration and all of that. So in your motor function, in your memories, in your sensories, or in your senses, and then obviously in your cognitive information. So that nightly glass of wine or beer or whiskey, maybe think twice and maybe just do two to three. If you like to drink, shoot, maybe two to three nights a week, have a drink or two. But that chronic intake, that daily intake or that big bender over the weekend may not be 
the best for us. And again, no judgment, just stating what I, what I found. Now, if we roll that into alcohol's effects on our mental state, you know, when I would have a drink or a couple, <laughs> I would wake up feeling less happy, more stressed, less motivated. And that was actually a big reason why. Well, one of the reasons why I have probably three to four big reasons why I wanted to do dry January with my bro. And the, the stress and the motivation was definitely a big part of it. And, and what happens is it turns out that alcohol is water and fat soluble, meaning that it permeates all the cell tissues in the body. So unlike most drugs that target specific tissues, alcohol's journey is a little bit more unique in that it can target really any tissue you want. It doesn't really care a whole lot. Fun fact, it can also cross that blood-brain barrier. So bear with me. This is getting a little nuts and bolts, but I want us to understand how alcohol is metabolized. So when we consume alcohol, obviously the body has to metabolize it and get rid of it and go through that elimination process. And most people are aware that the liver is where alcohol is metabolized. So there's probably mainly four steps, four big steps. The first being absorption. Obviously, we drink alcohol. It is rapidly absorbed into the bloodstream from the stomach and the small intestine. And this has to happen. And you're going to find out why in just a couple minutes, I'm going to talk about it. But it's super important to know that it's rapidly absorbed. And there's a negative impact if the body can't rapidly absorb it into the bloodstream as, as fast or it, and it can't metabolize it as fast. That's more accurate. It, if it doesn't metabolize it fast, there's a negative effect. But obviously, the rate of absorption depends on various factors, including the presence of food in the stomach. Now, I'll probably mention this a little bit later. What was also interesting is food eaten before you'd have any drinks can slow down the absorption rate. But I, I personally loved my late night snacks after drinking. Pizza was actually my go-to. But what was found that if you drink first and then eat, that food doesn't do anything for the alcohol already consumed because that's already absorbed just because of the rate at which it's absorbed into the bloodstream. So food eaten after alcohol doesn't necessarily sober you up faster. However, if you were to drink and then eat and then have more drinks, it will impact that second round of drinks and decrease the rate of absorption for that. I thought that was super interesting because everybody wants to sober up, but really that late night snack, all it does is really turn into fat because your body has to metabolize alcohol and it prioritizes that metabolization first. Then the second step is um, once it's in the bloodstream, it's distributed throughout the body, affecting various organs and tissues. Again, it can, it doesn't necessarily care what it targets, it just targets things. And then the liver is the primary site for alcohol metabolism. Bear with me, big words. The enzyme alcohol dehydrogenase converts ethanol, you know, that's the type of alcohol that's in the beverages, into acetaldehyde. Acetaldehyde is then broken down into acetate by another enzyme called aldehyde dehydrogenase, okay? And then acetate is eventually converted into carbon dioxide and water, which are the harmless byproducts that the body can eliminate, which leads us to the last step, and that's elimination. So carbon dioxide is expelled, obviously, throughout the lungs as we exhale, and water is excreted through our urine and sweat. So I think it's just important to note 
that the rate of which alcohol, again, is metabolized can vary among individuals and the liver can only process a certain amount of alcohol per hour. Now, don't quote me on this, but I'm quite positive that it's 0.025 that can be processed per hour. So that's essentially one drink. And that's where the whole, you know, one drink per hour, if you want to, you know, have drinks, but be able to function and drive and all that good stuff. But it's, it's super interesting. So what I had alluded to before is that if this conversion doesn't happen fast enough, acetaldehyde can build up. Okay. Remember that that acetaldehyde is what is con uh, ethanol is converted into. Sorry. And if that conversion doesn't happen fast enough, acetaldehyde builds up and it causes cellular damage, especially to the liver. Okay. But that cellular damage is pretty important because now we have cellular damage, but alcohol can also impact us at a neural level. And, you know, it in alcohol is a poison. We all know that. But that alcohol induced poison can disrupt neural circuits. And this disruption can lead to more impulsive motor behavior and altered thought processes. Have you ever had a couple of drinks and all of a sudden you felt like you were untouchable? I know I have, you know, going out in Milwaukee back in the day, there were plenty of times where I felt untouchable and I would have impulse behaviors happen, definitely altered thought processes. I think everybody's, you know, you, you don't, you can't recall things. You don't remember what you've said or conversations and all that good stuff. So alcohol obviously impedes or affects all of that. However, what's really interesting about this is that regular drinkers or those with a genetic predisposition to alcoholism might feel energized and good for extended periods of time, which then sets the stage for wanting more, right? But the more frequently someone drinks, the more our neural circuits kind of go through a change. And that change is while we are intoxicated, we have habitual and impulsive behavior, but the neural circuits that are in charge of that habitual and impulsive, and impulsive behavior can change basically long-term when we're sober. So even individuals who only drink on the weekends, instead of just having one to two drinks per night, if you only drink on the weekends, you can experience modifications in these circuits. And that makes it more habitual and impulsive when not drinking. So if you feel that your personality might have changed a little bit, you have some differences going on there, that can be from chronic alcohol intake, which I thought was super interesting that what you feel under the influence can definitely impact how you feel on a day-to-day -day basis, like no brainer, right? But it has these chronic neural changes that happen in your brain, in your body. So I, I do want to state that when I, when I found this is that there's, if you, if you decide to do something like a dry January or not have a drink for a couple of months, these neural circuits can almost reset, so to speak, and revert back to their original state. It just depends on not drinking. And if you choose to do so, which I thought was good, you know, you don't necessarily want irreversible damage, never a good thing. I was actually kind of worried as I was going through this, that, you know, the past year, I, I would say I probably had a drink almost every night and that some of this stuff would impact me a long-term. But what I, what I'm finding is that there's a lot that we can do and a lot that can be done, which is also really good. So 
Now let's keep plugging along. I know that when I've indulged, I've experienced intense brain fog, not only when drinking, but like throughout the week or the days. Obviously I have felt bloated. Like I said, late night snacks, always had it. And I just honestly overall felt shitty. I didn't feel like myself. I've lost my sense of purpose and drive and motivation and all of those things. And, you know, over the past six weeks, I've seen some of that come back, which is really cool. But my gut is still pretty jacked up. And that's likely due to this relationship between the gut, liver, and brain axis. And what that is, is it runs from our throat to the end of our intestines and then communicates to the brain, mainly through neurons that we've already talked about particularly the vagus nerve, and chemical neural signaling to our liver, which again is the first site in which alcohol is broken down. Then the liver will also communicate with the brain through chemical and neural signaling. So when I was going through this and deciding what I wanted to talk about and what I didn't, why I feel that this all matters. Gut health is obviously a huge talking point these days, and the importance of maintaining a healthy gut is instrumental to our overall health. Right. And with me, I know that my gut's jacked right now. I feel bloated. <laughs> There's other things going on that I TMI type of thing. But I, I do believe it's from the, the drinks and then what I would eat afterwards. I mean, I, I ate terrible as well. But so people who consume alcohol in any amount are disrupting the gut microbiome. And what alcohol specifically is doing within the gut is it's killing a lot of the healthy gut microbiota. And because as stated earlier, alcohol doesn't care which bacteria it kills, it just goes after anything. So that healthy gut microbiome is super important, but it's being destroyed basically by the alcohol consumption. Now, at the same time, the metabolism of alcohol in the liver is pro-inflammatory, which causes inflammatory cytokines to be released. And now what does that lead to? Well, leaky gut. And I know that we have other information out there. We have other podcast episodes, a couple that come to mind right away. I believe we talked with Megan Van Pay about leaky gut in a couple of her episodes. And I know we have others that have talked about gut health and it's super important. It's also super interesting to me. But if you want to learn more about that, definitely check out those episodes. But as a quick review, leaky gut's simply a condition that occurs when the lining of the small intestine really becomes more porous than normal. And, you know, in a healthy gut, the lining of the small intestine becomes or acts as a barrier, allowing nutrients to pass through into the bloodstream while preventing harmful substances. I really struggle with that word, substances such as bacteria, toxins, and undigested food particles from entering. With leaky gut now, those tight junctions between the cells of the intestinal lining become compromised, which allows unwanted substances, usually undigested food particles, to pass through the intestinal wall and into the bloodstream. And what this then does is it triggers an immune response as the body recognizes these substances as foreign invaders, leading to inflammation and other health issues. Now, because of leaky gut, all of these bad substances can get into the brain. I'm done saying that substance word. I struggle with it a lot. But that is what leaky gut is and why it's so instrumental that we keep our gut as healthy as possible. Now, don't fret. How can you combat some of this? 
Good pro tip for you. Can you fix the gut from this damage? Yes. However, you know, you need to change your alcohol consumption. But if you, what, what I found in the research was that if you eat or consume two to four fermented foods a day, things like kimchi, kefir, low sugar fermented foods, sauerkraut, these are really great at reducing inflammatory markers and improving the gut microbiome. Again, is it going to offset all the damage if you continue to drink? Likely not. I don't know for sure, but it can definitely help restore some of that good gut microbiome. Okay. So that's a lot for the gut. And I hope that, I hope that makes sense. It's super interesting, but that leads us into alcohol and cancer. Now cancer, I'm going to preface it with this. What I'm going to say isn't going to change our, you know, I'm not saying that this is going to completely offset our risk of getting cancer. Cancer impacts everybody has hit our families, friends. We have a very close friend battling it right now. And it's a very touchy subject, but it's so prevalent that I wanted to include a little bit about alcohol in here. And again, I'm not saying that this is going to eliminate your risk of cancer. These are just some things that alcohol does that increase our risk. And then a couple of things that we can do to try to offset some of our alcohol consumption. Okay. So alcohol and cancer, there is an association with a significant increase in cancer risk, particularly in breast cancer. Okay. Again, there is a relationship with one another and it's proposed to be anywhere from a four to 13% increase in risk of breast cancer for every 10 grams of alcohol consumed. Now, what does 10 grams of alcohol look like? In the US, for example, one beer, one glass of wine, one shot of liquor is equivalent to 10 to 12 grams of alcohol. Okay. One beer, one glass of wine, one shot, 10 to, gram, 10 to 12 grams of alcohol. And again, there's a 4 to 13% increase for risk of cancer for every 10 grams consumed. Okay. So that's quite significant. Now, what can we do with that? Or what can we do to give our bodies to help? Folate and B vitamins, particularly B12, has been shown to decrease cancer risk in people that consume alcohol, but not completely offset it. Okay. So folate, B vitamins, B12 in particular, shown decreased cancer risk in people that consume alcohol, but not completely offset it. And that's why if you've ever looked at a hangover supplement, you might notice a lot of the B vitamins and folate. But again, not saying this is going to eliminate your risk of cancer. It's just what's being seen in the literature right now. Okay. Now moving on. Alcohol and athletic performance. We all know, I'm just going to go down a list of things that I saw. So alcohol and hormones, obviously alcohol, it, it, again, it's a poison, but it can wreak havoc on our, on our hormones. So for men and women, testosterone prevalent in men, a little bit more estrogen, obviously the big hormone in women, um, but alcohol has been shown to decrease our hormones, which does have a direct impact on athletic performance because we're not able to necessarily maybe strength train and have the best results there or perform our best and feel our best while we're on the field or in the court or walking or running or whatever your activity may be. So I highly recommend, I, I think it's super important to have hormone panels done pretty regularly and really stay on top of that. You know, if that's something you're interested in, we have a lot of great referrals and we're a good network that we can get you more information on that. The other few things that alcohol and sport 
can how alcohol can impact sport performance is obviously it's a diuretic meaning it makes us go to the bathroom more which causes dehydration dehydration can decrease endurance it can increase your perceived exertion it can cause cramps and just again a feeling of not feeling energized so it's super important that we at athletes and anybody stay as well hydrated it decreases our coordination and reaction time it's a central nervous system depressant, you know, but it just means that it can impair coordination. And again, that reaction time, which is obviously problematic for a lot of sports, a lot of activities. So that's another thing that it can impact. Obviously muscle recovery, you know, it hampers protein synthesis, which is the process by which the body builds and repairs muscle tissue. And this interference can slow down recovery after intense exercise and really potentially lead to increased muscle soreness. And I think this is a really big one, you know, recovery. And then what we're going to talk about next or touch on quickly is sleep. Recovery and sleep are two big things that I have noticed in just these six weeks that I haven't had any alcohol. And I think that's been really interesting to see. Personally, I feel better in the morning, which makes me feel like I can go have a solid workout or do what I need to do because I don't feel groggy and I don't feel not recovered. <laughs> and then the other big thing is I'm getting quality sleep. Am I tracking it with, you know, any of those fancy watches? No, but I can tell by when I wake up that, well, I might be tired, you know, I, I'm able to get up and get my day going. And so this has probably been the biggest change for me in these six weeks is my sleep has significantly improved and I'm dreaming again, which is super cool. You know, alcohol can alter our normal sleep cycle. And that's our primarily the balance between rapid eye movement, so that REM sleep and non-REM sleep. REM sleep's associated with dreaming and is super important for cognitive function and memory consolidation. You know, I've looked at Erica many times being like, I can't remember things that I should. And I'm having a tough time with like memory recall and finding the right words. I'm getting caught in my words. It actually just happened now. Um, but that is getting better. But I'm also dreaming again, which is super special to me. I wasn't dreaming for probably six months. I'd be like, Erica, I, I don't dream anymore. And it sucked because, you know, again, 2023 was tough. We had to put my dog down. And for anybody that knows me, Kirby was honestly my best friend. And uh, the only time after he passed that I would see him was in my dreams. He visited me probably four times and it was super cool. I got to pet him and talk with him and it makes me super emotional, but that had stopped because I wasn't dreaming. And, you know, probably two weeks ago now, I got to see him in my dreams again. <laughs> I was like, come here, Curb. And he came running towards me with his leash in his mouth. I got to pet him and it was amazing. And if I never drink again, but I get to keep, I can keep seeing Kirby in my dreams, like hundred percent worth it point blank period, no doubt. Right. But this has been the biggest shift for me is quality sleep. I'm able to fall asleep. I stay asleep much better. I sleep much harder. And I have that I fall into that REM cycle, which allows me to dream and really restore a lot of cognitive function. I am noticing my, like I noted, my brain fog is getting much better. It's improving which is really good to see um, with what we do with, you know, I need to stay up with research and new skills and, and be able to lead and do all these things. And I wasn't able to do that efficiently just because I wasn't sleeping well. 
to be completely honest, alcohol. And then, you know, I would drink it to fall asleep, but that's not a good thing. It's not going to help you do that. So that REM sleep, very important. You know, alcohol can also increase night sweats. It can increase snoring and sleep apnea, but it can also increase delayed onset of REM sleep. So while it initially suppresses the REM sleep, there can be a rebound effect in the second half of the night leading to a more rapid onset of REM sleep. And this can contribute to more vivid dreams. However, it typically wakes you up much more frequently. Okay. We already talked about its effects on hormones. The caloric impact, alcohol's empty calories, doesn't provide any value. We talked about how it's metabolized, but it, it is metabolized. The body prioritizes the metabolism of alcohol over other substances like fats and carbs. So that late night snack, it's going to turn into fat if you're drinking simply because your body needs to metabolize alcohol first. And now it's using that as its energy source rather than the fats and the carbs. And now the fats and the carbs are being stored, right? So that weight gain that you typically see that I was experiencing was likely because of this, which is again, super, super interesting. So to wrap things up, you know, practical tips. If you want to have a drink or two per night, totally your decision. Some things that you can do is eat before drinking, which can slow down the absorption rate. Again, it doesn't necessarily help with drinks already consumed, but it can influence the processing of any subsequent rounds. Also, be aware of the impact of stress. Regular drinkers can experience more stress and it be due to the increase in cortisol, which I was dealing with. I mean, I'm a stressed person in general, but then you throw alcohol on top of it and it was just a recipe for disaster, man. Like I was in a bad place. And now that I have cut out alcohol for the time being, I've started to have a lot of realizations about last year and how I handled it. So it's been very, very eye-opening. And, you know, fun fact, my word for the year is purpose. I needed to redefine what that was. Obviously, with losing Kirby, that threw a huge damper into my world. Um, we had the birth of our little guy, Lincoln, which puts more responsibility and makes me feel a certain way that I need to, I need to, needed to find myself for my family. And that's something that I'm working on, you know, that we all probably work on all the time or something that we should work on is bettering ourselves. Right. But our, my, my purpose has changed a little bit and there's a lot of change and I don't handle change well. And I was using alcohol to cope and it was not a good situation. So, you know, it's, it's been pretty cool to be able to have these realizations and then make actionable steps to work on improving them. So again, like many of you, I've enjoyed a good drink. What else, what else have I noticed though? My skin, I always have wrinkles all over the place. <laughs> you know, not saying they're gone, but Erica did tell me that they're significantly less noticeable, which is a cool thing. Now I've also changed. I'm drinking a gallon of water a day. I'm drinking an element pack every day. I'm eating much better. I've cut out a lot of the sweets and the sugars and the crap food, um, a lot of the processed food. So there's a lot of other variables at play here. I've worked out, you know, four to five times a day, a week, a day. And that's been helpful. So I'm doing a lot more that agrees with who I am or who I want to be as a person. But because of this alcohol, I do feel like there's a lot of different change. So again, and that's the skin is a big one. That's simply because there's more of the body. My body's producing probably more and of the antidiuretic hormone vasopressin, which you should, I'm thanking for that natural glow that I now have. Right, Erica? Less wrinkles. What up? 
it's safe to assume my liver is probably functioning much better. My immune system seems to be good. I, you know, I haven't been sick since last year. It's only been six weeks, but doing a lot there. And then my brain, my, my cognitive function, my memory recall, my ability to retain information has all significantly improved. So if you've ever thought about doing a dry January or a dry month, or just trying to not have drinks for a little bit, I do challenge you to do that. It's very, very eye-opening and it has been very beneficial for me. It, it was difficult the first couple of weeks and I, that's when I realized that I was falling back on it to get me through sometimes. After that week, about week three is when I started to notice some of these differences. I was sleeping better. The dreams started to come back. Um, I wasn't as stressed and I wasn't craving a drink at night anymore. And right now I currently don't feel the need to have anything, nor do I necessarily want anything because of how I've been feeling. Is that to say that I'll never have a drink again? No, I likely will at some point. Will it change how I was consuming them? Yes, it will for sure. But to wrap things up, I hope this was helpful. If you have any questions, feel free to hit us up and let me know what you think. You know, I, I want the podcast to go this route where it's more educational and informative. So if you like, let me know. And as always, guys, we will talk with you next time. If you would like more information about us at Movement Performance and Rehab or on one of our guests, or if you have a contact to be a good guest for this podcast, please send us an email at info at mvmtgb.com. That's info at movementgb.com.